Hey, this is Kyle Thomas from Exhorter, and you're listening to the Brutally Delicious Podcast. How's it going? Good. Thanks for taking the time. I appreciate it. Especially such short notice. Yeah, yeah. I'm happy. Where are you guys at today? All good. All good. Yeah. Uh, we're at a truck stop. <laughs> <laughs> in mid-tour? We're, 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 uh, we're en route to the first show. We're uh, playing St. Vitus in Brooklyn tomorrow, so we're somewhere in Pennsylvania. Gotcha. What's it like to be finally back out on the road again? Uh, so far, it's been very stressful relieving to just have left yeah. uh, and, be on, and be on the vehicle and uh, just back in the, uh, the mindset of, you know, not being home preparing for it, to be honest with you. Right. That's the best part. Did you guys have a whole lot of uh, extra protocols to follow to get ready for this or? Um, a little bit. There, there's been some, uh, you know, there are some mandates with the touring. Uh, it's a live nation tour. So uh, there are, protocols that you have to follow you know with you know vaccinations or you know you know having test records be right. current and all that stuff so uh you know some venues i think are more on that than others depending on what part of the world you're in right uh, and it seems to me from what i'm hearing like you know in europe it's kind of the same thing some places are are you know very on that and some right. maybe a little more lackadaisical. Okay. What was the, uh, what was the thought process or the reason to go back and do uh, slaughter in the Vatican top to bottom? Well, um, that was something that the first time we did that was actually at St. Vitus, uh, the very first show back after we reunited, uh, it went over so well that we got booked on psycho Las Vegas to do it for 2020. Um, but obviously 2020 was a wash for everybody. Right. So that got pushed back to this year. Uh, we were rehearsing for the, uh, the cycle Las Vegas set in August. And it, it's a lot of work to, to prepare for doing a specialty set like that. Right. So uh, we, we basically thought, you know, why, why waste all of this hard work? Um, preparing for this and just do it once so we asked our booking agent to see if there were any feelers he could throw feelers out there to see if we could get a tour and here we are <laughs> that's pretty cool and i imagine the old school fans are super happy about all that too so that's great yeah yeah the, i mean of course uh slaughter in the vatican is still always the uh go-to you know uh at this point um you know there's people who prefer this album over that one but sure that's the one that's the one that launched us into infamy. So, uh, <laughs> right. Uh, at this point, it's kind of like the low hanging fruit and the bread and butter. So during the pandemic, were you guys able to take advantage of the time and do some writing or work on some new material or how did that work out? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we, we all were really busy with the writing process, uh, pretty much from jump. Um, I, I think any band that kind of snoozed on that opportunity, set themselves up for, for uh, being in a bad position because now the bands that did put in the work during the pandemic or if they're not 
releasing albums now. They're not far off. So, you know, we've, we've been in pre-production for it for quite some time. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's something that we're going to be working really hard on uh, in the upcoming months after tour. So looking forward to that. Are you guys or were you guys able or are you guys able to get together and write all together in like the old traditional sense? Or are you more or less taking advantage of technology? It's tough for us to do that because none of us live in the same state. We've got four guys in four different states. So that makes it, right. a little, you know, the dynamics are, it's, it's a long commute. So yeah. um, I, I think what everybody's pretty much, uh, you know, set out to do is we've all just kind of crafted our own songs individually. And then when we got together in August, while we were rehearsing for the Slaughter in the Vatican set, we also did some, jamming on the newest stuff, throwing, bouncing ideas off of each other, tweaking this, tweaking that, seeing what works and what doesn't. So, um, you know, that that's the good part is once we finally get together, we do, you know, hear each other out on ideas and stuff. So, you know, sometimes something that somebody submits works and sometimes it doesn't. So we just, we, we just kind of stockpile what does work together. Right. And, uh, move on from there. Do you find that when you're writing, you're writing the songs for the song sake or more for how they're going to come across in the live setting? You know, cause they're so energetic and heavy. Uh, that's probably a little thought process that goes into let's try this because it would turn out nicely live. Um, but really I think everybody just kind of writes what they're feeling. Um, I know I do. So, uh, when, I, when I'm not feeling much, I'm not terribly inspired. So if you force writing when you're not inspired, you're usually just going to get crap. So uh, I, I, you have to take advantage of those moments when you're in a very creative mode and just right. spit out as much and during that period. That doesn't mean that all of that's going to get used, but you right. cherry pick the best of it and kind of start assembling songs. I've got so many half-finished songs from <laughs> the past 30 years. It's not even fun. Really? That just a whole reel of them. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, sometimes they get used. Sometimes they come back around decades later and sometimes they just collect us forever. So it just depends. You mentioned sort of the inspiration and, you know, being inspired. Did you find writing during the last, I could say two years now, cathartic? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, as as an as a creator, whether you're a visual artist or a musician or you know a writer, that any anything uh, of that, where the creative arts is, is what you do, I, I find I'll wake up in the middle of the night sometimes and music's just going off in my head, or or I have a vote a lyrical idea, and there are times where I do have to get up and get out of bed and get that idea down not only because i don't want to lose it but uh, if if i don't it's just gonna rattle around me until i right. do something with it yeah so i that's what i find with most people that are in the same boat as me is the wheels are just kind of always going and, and you have to you have to get it out as much as you can because and yes it is cathartic to to finally piece something together uh, whether i'm writing with the guys for exhorter or with the guys for trouble or doing my own songs that I do by myself. 
to get to the end when you finally got a finished product, um, it, it's definitely a, a, a freeing kind of feeling. Right. Uh, so that's probably just about any any artist or writer will tell you the same thing. So what's it like then? I know I'm kind of just going down a wormhole here, but what's it like on the flip side of that when the song that you wrote that meant so much to you and exposed so much of you connects with someone outside of outside of the band? Um, my personal take on that would be uh, when I'm writing a song, it's obviously mine and only mine unless I'm collaborating with someone right. that's everyone's, but uh, until, until it's released, there's really nobody to bounce it off of unless you're people here within your trusted circle. But once I release a piece that's, that's been uh, something that came from me, uh, once it becomes public, I, I no longer consider it mine. It belongs to everybody. And uh, art is subjective. So what it means to me might mean something totally different to someone else. And that's the beauty of art is it's interpretive. So, uh, right. you know, I, I actually had a lady tell me one time that some songs that I had worked on, I don't know, 20 years ago, uh, helped her get through, uh, you know, a death in her family that, that, you know, she was in a terrible place in the, in the, the songs, the, the, the take that she got on it helped her through that. Right. And, and, and it wasn't intended that way. It was actually the song, the songs were actually written to help me get out of a terrible place that I right. was in. But you know, who am I to tell her? No, that's not what the song meant. That, no, that's what the song means to her. And that's powerful, so right? I do get that question sometimes. What does this song mean? Well, what does it mean to you? Right. And that's powerful when that, I imagine when something like yeah, that. Yeah, it, it, it is kind of, a, it's almost a, it is a, it, it can be even like scary in a little bit of a way that it's something that you say or do could have that much of an impact on someone else's life. So that's, that's a very powerful uh, thing and not something to be abused in my, in, you know, my perspective. I, uh, I think it's, I don't want to say that I, feel like I have some sort of uh, responsibility or anything because every, everyone should be accountable and responsible for themselves. Right. But at the same time, uh, good or bad, when, when you hear the results of what your work has done for somebody, you know, sometimes bad things happen uh, and people say, well, this song inspired me to do that, you know, serial right. killers or right, right. kid. So, you know, I, I can only imagine how that's got. I feel badly for artists who've had that kind of situation happen, that their work somehow tethered to tragic events. And, right. And that's that's no good. That's it's not their fault. But still, you know, no, I 100 percent agree with you. And I know we're totally off topic here. Sorry, my dog is going crazy. Uh, we're totally off topic here. But do you think as a performer or as an artist in any medium, not just music, you have a sort of obligation. That's kind of, I think what you were saying, right? Yeah, I, I don't, I, I, I don't feel like, uh, like ultimately that I can have some accountability for, for anything 
it's not the way I was raised. My parents right. taught me to be accountable for myself. I did the same thing with my children. Sure. And, uh, but at the same time, uh, you don't want to be reckless necessarily. Right. Um, but, you know, art, again, I, I liken a lot of what I do with whatever I've done, all the millions of bands I've worked with. Um, this one in particular, Exhorter, uh, is it's like it's almost like like horror movies. You know, you got a director that's uh, that's making a horror movie. Well, it doesn't mean John Carpenter's running out in a mm-hmm. uh, Captain Kirk-esque stabbing people right. to death. It, it, you know, so if we're singing horrible lyrical content, it doesn't mean that that's what I do. Look at look at all the, the you find more do-gooders in extreme music. Yes, uh, that work on cat rescue, dog rescue. Yes, uh, you know. Uh, pl- you know, save the planet kind of Because you're able to get it all out. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, it, I, I don't know. I, I've always enjoyed making people uncomfortable with <laughs> with, uh, with the music that I make over the years. So uh, I, I think just about all of us probably feel the same way. You know, it's, yeah. it, it's, it's less about what happens in your day-to-day life than it is about just saying things that everybody's thinking and not being afraid Right. To get it out there. Uh, and and sometimes it's hard to look at or listen to. Sometimes people enjoy looking at it, listening to it. So if it's not for you, turn the channel. <laughs> right. So what's next for, for you guys? You got this run here and then uh, another single? Or are we doing a EP? No, nah, no. We're, we're, uh, focus is, uh, is album. We, you know, we're under contract with Nuclear Blast for a follow-up to More in the okay, Southern cool. Skies. And it's it's been two years, so it's time, you know? Yeah, because I know the music business has sort of reinvented itself, right? We've got, like, the every six-week single sort of thing. But fans like me, music fans, I'm old school. I want the record. I want to do the whole process. It's a Turn ritual. It right, it's a ritual. Liner notes and everything. I mean, oh, yeah. I, that, to me, that was half of the experience of coming home from the store with brand-new vinyl, knowing not only the smell of it and, and un, undoing the plastic and and reading the lyrics while, or, or the thank you list. Right. And, and I, being a kid, not understanding what producing is and what right. uh, exact produ- production is and mastering and all that. So you always, as a kid or as maybe somebody that's not a kid, but just doesn't understand, that's all kind of mysterious stuff. But uh, I, I always enjoyed seeing who did what. And yeah, where and the whole where. thing, right. Yeah. Yeah. And then listening from top to bottom, the way it was meant to be sequenced and the whole thing. Perhaps even 17 times in a row. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, right. I think the kids these days, they have like that short attention span, like my son's age. They just want that one song and then they're ready to move on. There's no engaging in the in the medium like I think it was meant to be. Oh, one of my kids, man, she'll she'll play a song. And before it's halfway over, she's skipping to the next one. I'm like, it, it, I feel like I'm being like on the, on the, like on the teacup ride when you go yeah. back and forth. Yeah. Like, oh, stop this. Let, let the ride finish. So I imagine it's been a couple of years now. You're going to hit the You're going to hit the shows first show tomorrow night. You're going to see multi-generations at this point, right? Cause you've got your fans bringing their kids to the shows. That's going to be pretty intense, right? That is true. We first started noticing that uh, uh, during festival season, 
in Europe that when we first started playing shows again, just how many kids are, are now being brought to the shows. It's there, there are more venues in the States that are starting to do, uh, you know, un- letting under 18 mm-hmm. come in, which I think is great. You know, yeah. it, it's, there's no reason why, uh, why these shows shouldn't be accessible to everyone. Right. And it, that's, that's the way of the future and, and the hope of keeping extreme music alive, right. uh, having to compete with the over, uh, oversaturation of what the mainstream is pushing on people, which isn't hard rock. Hard rock survives because hard rock is like a cockroach. And right. you know, I, I think that when, when children are, given the opportunity to listen to it in addition to the mainstream, you know, I, I always let my kids choose what they wanted to, sure. but at the same time, they heard I was listening to as well. So, uh, you know, it, there's nothing wrong with liking a lot of different things. I don't listen to a lot of heavy metal personally uh, in my free time anymore. I'm just, just at that point in my life where I, I gravitate towards other things, but kind of like, uh, that old saying goes, the carpenter's wife has no furniture. You know, who wants to do their work right. all the time, you know, right. in their free time? Yeah. Give me a, an, an old school funk record every day at my house or some 80s right. new wave. And that's what I, but, right. but I, I think it also bodes well for writing the writing process because I'm not listening to a lot of what's going on in contemporary music. So there's not going to be uh, an accidental influence from that. And it, I think it helps make what we're doing sound a little more proprietary. I agree. And yeah, I'm going to go back to the eighties new wave. Cause I was just listening to the psychedelic furs this morning while I was setting Hell everything yeah. up. I love that stuff. Hell yeah. Yeah. They just played in new Orleans. Sadly, I missed it. I meant to go. And, uh, between dealing with hurricane Ida and all that stuff, uh, I, I forgot to purchase tickets for it. So I don't know if I'll get another chance to see them, but yeah. Great yeah. Band. All right, so I got one more for you before we go, and I don't know if you're going to know the answer or not, but what? Sorry, my dog is going crazy. Um, it's all right. Why do you think there are so many really good, really heavy bands that come out of Louisiana? Because you got a lot. Disproportionate, I think. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's always just kind of been that, I guess, I don't know if it's in the water or what, but uh, you know, we, we didn't have we had some to look up to when we were young uh, that, you know, there were some heavy metal bands that, that, that we liked from here, but from New Orleans, but um, really it wasn't until I started going to the punk rock shows where I started like, well, really connecting with what was going on locally. Uh, So I think a lot of these bands, why there's so many now is because in the late eighties, early nineties, there was, such an influx of bands that that were coming out of new orleans and and you know you got to look at the industry too before they started signing acts like us uh there weren't a lot from new orleans uh right to to look to to, i guess for the the industry to feel like there was a legit new orleans scene you know you had your back then it was either new york or la you know california san francisco and and in between was kind of like, eh, but then, you know, the Seattle scene broke, the New Orleans scene broke, right. uh, you know, next thing you know, you got Slipknot coming from what, Idaho? That, uh, 
Yeah. Or Iowa. Where are they from? I think it's Florida. Iowa. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, but yeah, like, so there's great stuff between the coasts that before the advent of the internet, you know, it was hard for people to find out about. Yeah, maybe. Cause I mean, I was just thinking, you know, right off the top of my head, I was thinking like, you know, goat whore and crowbar and I hate God and all those, even Pantera, right. I'm mean, all these great big bands. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's, there's such a, uh, a rich dynamic scene down in the South. And uh, I, I guess at the end of the day, it all points towards, um, you know, the classic New Orleans music from before us that wasn't heavy metal, but just it. It, it was New Orleans. Standard. Yeah, it set the standard and just kind of fled into what we grew up listening to, which was, you know, hard rock and heavy metal. So, right. Interesting. Well, that's nice all. I'm, that's all I've got. I've uh, I've come to the end of my questions. I appreciate you taking the time. Yeah, yeah. yeah thanks for having us. For sure, really appreciate it. And uh, everybody that's been um, uh, making themselves available to us for interviews has been so nice and friendly, and I appreciate that. For that's sure. great. It's a de- it's a definite community. <laughs> Thank you, my friend. Stay safe on tour. Hopefully, I'll catch you around this thanks, area Bruce. sometime. Hey, be appreciate well. It. Take care. See you soon. Take care. Bye. Thanks. Hello, Tom May here, host of Future Friday. I've spent the last 15 years on the road with my band, The Menzingers, where I've met all kinds of wild and fascinating people. So I started a podcast. On Future Friday, I talked to fellow musicians about the moments that made them, their passions outside of music, and the curiosities that tie us all together. I've also talked to the likes of UFO researchers, magicians, soldiers, and documentary filmmakers, and I'm constantly searching for folks that can shape and change our view of the world. You can check out Future Friday wherever you like.